Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. You got to check it to see first, huh? You want to make sure. Well, I don't want to waste your time or my time and have to do it again. You know, this is going to be gold. It's going to be, yes. I like it. All right. Well, it says, yeah, I mean, that's recording. It's 21 seconds of bullshit already. I like it. That's the best stuff. All right. I need to let everyone know you're being recorded. East, you're being recorded. Yep. That's how we do. That's how we do. All right. Let's fire it away. I'll know it is. All right, how's it, folks? Welcome back. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. Well, I'm Andrew Nietling. Hopefully, you've listened to the show before. If you haven't, welcome. This is where we'll dig into some of Mountbike's greats, race reviews, some other sportsmen. You know you know how we do. But I have got a living legend with me today. It's none other than Eric Carter. And before he jumps in, some of you may not even know of this man because you were probably born after the internet started. <laughs> He did a lot of his incredible racing before we even got to watch it on things like Red Bull TV, multiple world champion in BMX and mountain biking. But just a great all-round dude. Always had a good time. And man, if he was behind <laughs> you in a four-cross race, let me tell you, he was for sure going to get by you. So uh, EC, how are Yo. the good times rolling? They're rolling good, man. You know how I go, man. They're always rolling good. So... uh just yeah man happy to be on here super proud of what you're doing man um you know it's it's cool you got this thing up and running and and uh you know well we've had a couple of tries because my computer was jacking up but man you're dude you're well spoken you're good on the mic dude i love to hear it i love to see it so um good times are rolling and i'm ready to get down let's do it thanks man but uh you're a, you're a podcaster as well so uh you'll be comfortable yeah. you are never scared to have a good chat have a beer after race be it with a fan be it with a young rider so i remember those good times but um dude i mean i'm getting i'm getting on with my age and you are still out there building trails riding ripping with your kids now i mean what yeah. a trip dude you've had how many years in the industry now without getting a proper job in theory i know you're doing a lot of paper pushing yeah. and pushing a few excel spreadsheets around the desk there but it's not really a proper job yet yeah well yeah uh how many years there's a couple of questions in there how many years uh i started racing bmx when i was eight and i'm 52 now so i mean that's a pretty long that's a pretty long stretch i would say <clears throat> not till i was 16 15 16 was when I, I started becoming a job where i was doing well enough in bmx that i was i started getting paid um salaried rider and bonuses and travel budgets and things like that so whatever the math is on that i was never good at it but uh yeah a long time been in the industry a long time there was a stretch um when i was done at gt uh when uh myself and kanipa they they kind of put us out to pasture and they <clears throat> took our money and gave it to the Athertons for the Atherton project and bought those guys motorhomes and trailers and all kinds of crazy shit that well played by the Athertons because they owned that stuff. So GT just gave them money and they bought assets for them and they took those assets and did whatever they wanted. So Athertons well played, but um, yeah, man, uh, I'm still here for like, I don't know, like 10 years. 
uh, I did, um, I was a, actually a sales rep for Marin. I was for like a year and a half in SoCal. Um, I managed the specialized team in 2014 for the World Cup circuit. <clears throat> I did. True, I forgot uh, about that, huh? This you did uh, the team manager role as well, yeah. And you were—I yeah. wish you were my. Well, you were a mentor, but you weren't quite my team manager. Yeah, you were good at that. That's a pity yeah. that didn't last. Yeah, and then we went. Uh, I did 100%. I I was a sales rep in SoCal for 100% for a year, and then in between those things, I've I was working with Hyper, you know, off and on. I'd been with Hyper since 1993 as a BMX racer. I helped them. I don't want to say start the company. Clay had started it, but I was definitely instrumental in it going to the level that it, that it was. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, man, just, uh, yeah, I love bikes. It's what I've, I'm, you know, I'm ingrained, I'm buried in it. There's no turning back now, especially at 52, man. Um, so now I just, I manage a bike park in Southern California. Uh, it's called Velocity Bike Park. And it's at a, a KOA resort, as you can see. When we're done talking today, I'm going to my KOA campground, and uh, I'm going to go to work. But um, it's a uh, yeah, man, it's great. It's a bike park that um, is emerging. We're or, well, we're we're growing it, we're building it. Um, it's been a long time place where they've held races and stuff. But the trail network, the trail network now, we're able to expand it, and we have enduro, we have cross country, we have a bunch of events that happen there, and then uh, eventually we'll have. Uh, shuttle service and downhill as well so dude i'm blessed i really am a, <clears throat> a blessed guy to be able to do this i get to ride with my kids both of my kids are you know they love racing my son ethan wants to do some big mountain enduro stuff and then possibly get into some ews um probably next year and then my son cole is a ripping cross-country guy that has just super fast local guy that I don't know if he's going to turn pro or whatever. I, I don't, I don't know what their super long-term plans are, but um, dude, I'm so lucky to be able to ride with my kids and gosh, dude, bikes has given me everything good in my life. And so uh, I'm, I'm blessed. Well, uh, speaking of a few <clears throat> questions I gave you, you gave me a few answers there. I mean, uh, I want to pull on so many of those. What's the, okay. What's the shittest job you've had in the industry then? Because <laughs> you, you like named a few and I, I'll yeah. never forget what you said in one of those videos you said. And the reason I'm asking about the shit job is yeah. because you said when you get burnt out on racing or whatever, and you were quoted as, I just go and I sit in traffic for 30 minutes yeah. and that'll cure your ass of getting a yeah. real job. And I, that yeah, stuck man. with me throughout my whole career when I was burnt out or when I was like, you know, struggling under the pressure or the results weren't there or the training was monotonous. So, um, that made it's me true. realize we are so lucky to pursue something like a professional sport. And then you have to give it up. I mean, you can't do it forever. Sure. So what was maybe the biggest challenge? Was that just like the first job out of racing? Or was there one along the way you go, ah, this is not quite for me, even though it's in the bike industry? Uh, I, I liked my jobs. I liked all the jobs that I did. But um, I would say, man, the shittest job. I mean, there's 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 different types of shit on <laughs> each job. Right. So, um, um, my specialized gig was weird, man. That was a weird deal. Right. Like, uh, inside that company is just, it's just different. I don't know how to, else to explain it. Like I was super close with some guys in the company and then there was other people that it was like, I was, it's like, I didn't even work there, dude. I was the manager of the, I was the manager of the world cup team. I only got to go to the office and specialize two times. 
and I never got to go into the race shop. I never saw the race shop. The mechanics, what John you Hall, mean? and You're I never. The manager yeah. of the World Cup team. I mean, it's like Roger DeCosta is yeah. not allowed to step into the KTM rig. Yeah, yeah. Those guys, well, you know, uh, Kanipa and John Hall, those guys were down there working when we would go there to, to the to the corporate office. Corporate office wasn't located here, so I didn't get to go there all the time. And I imagine if I lived closer, I probably would have spent time in the race shop. But the two times I went to the office, neither time did we ever go down to the race shop. I never, it just wasn't a thing I was supposed to do. So um strange it was strange company um and it's a weird political thing inside there was a lot of political infighting like my guy who brought me in jeff rogers amazing dude super supportive of me super supportive of the team um he actually you know they took the at that time they took the team away from heimdall who was doing with monster energy um and jeff's words to me were hey man we have to win and it was the second year for Gwen to be on the team. So they put a bunch of money into him and he did his first year on the team and he just tanked. He just couldn't ride himself out of a paper bag that first year. Bike, whatever, atmosphere, team, I don't know, but he couldn't figure it out. So Jeff was like, I need you to come in. We need to win races and we need to also not have the um, closed off pits, you know, the ride and hide mentality, how those guys always had their, their pits down Nobody could look in. Nobody could talk to them. And their distributors and, you know, dealers over in, in Europe, dude, they hated it, you know, because it was like like the nickname. It was called the Death Star. So that's what they, that's what they called that thing was the Death Star because it was just this. It just reeked of negativity the way it was. I wasn't there, man. I'm just giving this. This is what I was told when I got brought in. So I told Jeff, I was like, yeah, dude, I think I can. I can definitely create a better atmosphere for your distributors and talking and have a good time out there. We can do that. Um, you know, hopefully Troy and Mitch and Aaron will be receptive of my style and um, positivity. And hopefully we can go in. I think we can. And basically what he said was, dude, I'm, I'm going to probably get in trouble because halfway through the season is when they're going to go through budgets and stuff. And we are going to be over budget, but if we're winning, <laughs> yeah, I might not get as, as much trouble. So I had a lot of pressure on me to do that. And we were when he got when he got um, his half yearly review. Um, he did. He got moved out of that marketing position. They brought a new guy in. No shit we from were, being over budget. I think so. Well, one but of the we, reasons, I guess. Yeah, we were winning, though. Um, Troy and Aaron were first and second in World Cup points at that time. So they brought this other guy, this clown in Gavin, man. And this guy, dude, he was just something, dude. He um, he was a triathlon guy. Nothing against triathletes, but triathletes trying to manage World Cup downhill teams or programs. It just they don't they don't understand it. So we went to the first race, and it was uh, Fort William, and Troy won. I think Aaron got fourth. We were best team on the day. We crushed it. I mean, we dude, it was insane. Like it was the I think it was probably the pinnacle of the season. Mitch didn't have his best race and was in like the fifties or sixties. And so Gavin comes into my room at Fort bill. We're getting ready to get like travel. Like we're li literally leaving the hotel. We're going to travel. And he goes, Hey man, I want to talk to you about the weekend. I was like, all right, man, cool. It was awesome. And he goes, yeah, team did great, but I don't know about this Mitch guy. And I was like, yeah, he's, he's struggling a little bit to find the speed. I said, you know, hopefully we can work through the season and we can get him there. And you know, it's a goal of mine to get him to riding to his potential because he's an amazing He's an amazing racer 
and he's so, I mean, his skill is second to none, the way he can handle his bike. We just got to put that pieces of the puzzle together. And he said, well, listen, here's the deal. Specialized isn't a developmental team. We don't develop riders. We have riders that win World Cups. That's who we are. And I said, okay. And he said, so what you need to tell him when you get to the next race, which was uh, at Leo Gang, he said, you need to pull him aside and tell him, you know, if he doesn't get top 10 at the next race, he's, he's not going to any more World Cups. <laughs> and I was like, Gavin, you don't even know what you're talking about. I said, I, I'm telling you right now, I know you're my boss. I'm not saying that to him. If you want to say that to him, you can but I know how Mitch is and Mitch will go crazy. He'll ride like a maniac to try to get that. And he's just going to kill himself. You don't even understand that type of pressure, Gavin, because you don't come from that world. And so, did he, I mean, he wasn't even hired getting those results anyway. So you're like putting these false expectations on him anyway. Like, correct. As so gifted as a, he is, he wasn't a top 10 rider at that time anyway. No, no, he wasn't. And he had the potential to be. And, but he, you know, he was more of a developmental rider. He was a test rider. He was super close with Sam and Brad Benedict. He did gave those guys tons of feedback on the equipment and the development. And, you know, Brad and Sam, they're like, I call them untouchables. It's specialized. Those guys are so ingrained in the company. Like they just, they can do whatever they want. Right. And so, um, you know, Mitch basically was under there. He was like their little brother. So Mitch was kind of an untouchable. And, you know, so I, anyways, I just didn't say anything to Gavin about that. Uh, or we didn't, I didn't say that anything to Mitch about that. I let that go. And then, um, you know, Gavin, he got mad at me at another time. He said, you know, he was talking about where my riders were. I, I flew to a race in New York. Uh, and then I flew home and then I was going to go back to Mount St. Anne. And that was part of my deal with Jeff was like, I'll do the management deal, but I have to be able to come home to be with my kids when I have time. And so when I flew home, he got really mad because I wasn't on the road with the riders. And he's just laying into me. I said, dude, I, John Hall and John Kanipa are both there. They have company card that we're fine. Like, why do I have to be there? Part of my deal was not. So he got super mad at me about not knowing where the riders were at all times and the testing. Like those guys would do testing stuff, dude. The, the riders, this is what I mean about how weird it was. So, like, the testing team would go do testing, Brad and Sam, mostly uh, mostly Brad, and the riders and the mechanics. They would go do testing, and I didn't know about it until I would see, like, an Instagram post of, like, great weekend riding, and they would be up north somewhere. Like, I had no clue. I just, I was compartmentalized, and that's how they do things there. Super interesting. Hey, like the politics, like I can think back for all sorts of shit where you're like, I can't, we can't go testing there and get the room for two days, but we're going to throw a party there for yeah. 10 times what, no, 100 times yeah. what we were asking for. But it's, yeah, it's politics. It's like, so from what I'm hearing, it's like, you probably don't want to be it, micromanaged. Like, dude, you were there. You, that's why a former rider almost makes such a good manager because you can sort of be the psychologist and cut to the bullshit and go, that's really important, even though it doesn't look important. That little right. piece of the puzzle is so important. And right. That one, so, that one I don't think it is. Yeah. So it was it was a strange thing. Uh, you know, Gavin got really upset about me not knowing where the riders were. And then it was like, well, I said, man, I don't control. Gavin, you got to understand, I don't do testing. I'm not in testing. I'm the team manager. So those guys, when they go testing, they're with the testing guys, 
you know, with Brad and with Sam and the Benedicts. And, you know, Gavin was like, well, this is bullshit. You know, those guys, you know, I'm coming for those Benedicts. I'm going to get those guys, you know, those guys. And so I just, I actually told him, I said, I hope you know what you're like. I hope you know what you're saying because dude, those guys are untouchables. You're not, you actually aren't going to get the Benedicts. You, and so I don't think, uh, I don't think he's there. I don't think Gavin's at the company anymore. I think, you know, at the end of 2014, um, look, I don't know if I was the best team manager. I know there were some things that Aaron didn't like about the way I managed stuff. Um, I don't know where Troy is. Troy says he liked me being his team manager. But I don't know. Um, you know, I wasn't like super dialed F1 guy, but I thought that I created a really positive atmosphere. All of our writers improved. So I think I did good in that aspect. But um, yeah, me and Gavin kind of, I think we both got bounced out of there around the same time. Um, I don't know. I think Benno took back over my management stuff. Um, but yeah, man, I, I didn't, I, I found out I wasn't going to be the team manager before the world's. The, the world's the the race where uh uh 2014 was was when was it, um was it no way was it no way it was, i felt like we no had way. that chat at no way yeah yeah it was where rat boy just destroyed his ankle mm. it was that race yeah. so i yeah and, and rob was asking me and i'm like man i don't know you know i had a three-year plan at specialized and it was you know to get aaron a world championship title and a world cup title to get troy a world cup title and a world championship title and then to get um mitch running in the top 10 those were my personal goals for the team and i put myself on a three-year plan for that and um i just was never able to to i was never able to to go those extra years you know i i found out the night before the finals me and troy were doing the last course walk like literally walking the course last deal and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't, you know, these guys are, they won't return my calls. They won't tell me what's going on. They won't tell me the future. And Troy just told me point blank. He's like, oh, dude, you're gone. He goes, you're, you're not, you're not, you, they've already decided you're not the team manager next year. You're gone. They might keep Kanipa, but you're for sure gone. And I was just like, fuck, dude, what a kick in the nuts, man. Um, <clears throat> so. Did you enjoy the role? Like. The team manager helping riding, like I would, like I it seemed it. like you, you know, you get back to the World Cup, so you get back to racing what you know and did for so yeah. long. You you must have enjoyed it, right? Like this I different position. I lived, but, yeah, no, for sure, Needles. I I lived through those guys, man. I wasn't fast enough clearly to race anymore at that level, um, but I really lived through those kids, man, and I really, really took that part of the job of like I was on course. Every from the first practice lap to the end of the practice lap with my video camera, we come straight down. We would all of us would sit immediately like we wouldn't go back to the room or anything. We would sit immediately right after we'd study all the footage. Then I would go to Lawler's room and study his footage and try to help the guys the best I could. I, I loved it, dude. I mean, funny story. We went to South Africa the first race. And dude, I was so, I don't want to say full of myself, but I was like, okay, sweet, man. I'm going to come in. I'm going to make a difference for these guys. This is going to be amazing. And uh, course walk, the way the course went, it dropped down and it kind of went on this, like across this road. And then there was a really nasty rock garden after it. And then it kind of opened back up and there was a line where you could kind of ride through it, a little diagonal line. So I'm up there and I'm like, okay, guys, 
you know, you guys are going to line up and you're going to, if you set up over here, you're going to, you could straight line through that thing with no breaks. It's going to be amazing, you know? And Troy, like he looked at me and he goes, Hey man, uh, we're just going to jump the whole thing. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, it was total blind, you know, and it was stuff that we never did when I was racing, you know, and it had been a minute since I'd been on the world cup circuit. I actually walked up to the top and I'm looking at the thing and I'm like, oh my gosh, man, like this is insane. Dude, zip the mouth, completely zip. I did the course walk, the whole rest of the course walk with my arms crossed. And it was like, man, I got two you're going ears. Back, and you're going back to school here. It was, man. Two ears, one mouth, right? You got two ears and one mouth for a reason, man. So I <laughs> shut my mouth and just listened to these guys. So I could learn. I had to learn. I knew at that point it's like well i can i know i can learn this and i can watch and be observant and i can give them guys information but i had to like take a step back and learn what their their skill sets were their capabilities are the equipment's capabilities from the time i had been on circuit to what the, like it was a whole new game and um but i loved it dude i really really it's loved cool, hey like i've done this on course like coaching downhill coaching whatever it's like a big thing right back then yeah you're probably one of the early adopters. Will Longden was up on course probably. You know, the former riders would go up on course. They're probably more useful there than checking right. emails at a race week. But And it's like a psychology game of of where's your rider at? Is he confident? Because then you can probably push him into the faster line. Or is this, a, is this a section where, you know what, we just need to get him comfortable on a line and he can, you know, win the race somewhere else. Like it's such a fine line. You've got to tell a rider what he wants to hear as well depending on the relationship and that probably takes time like you realize luckily very quick okay maybe they don't want my lines (laughs) right uh, they know what they're doing so they need sort of affirmation you're on the right line yeah yeah for sure there was there was there was a bunch of that yeah there was there was a lot there was a and it was different right sometimes it was affirmation sometimes it was like you know you would get to the end of the you know i mean we had radios as well so i would radio down and and immediately like if they came through in the wrong line i would have to radio down immediately and be like hey look you can't like you got to tell him he can't be over there like he's losing a second in you know in a hundred foot span he's losing a second and a half we can't give that much time up in that short of a distance you're never going to get that back so yeah your psychologist your um babysitter your big brother your dad you're all those things and i loved it man i thought it was fascinating watching these guys go through it but it got those guys got so competitive well i I think aaron you know troy didn't care he was like i'll share anything but aaron got so competitive with troy because they were going for the overall they were first and second before rat boy went on his tear at the end of the season and and blew past us like we were on jack stands but he was you know all of a sudden he just comes roaring with these points and rips by us but um you know, those guys got so competitive. We were, I don't know which, I, it might have been Fort William, I think, in the in the woods maybe. Um, you know, we came down and we were looking at footage. And, you know, Aaron just point blank said, hey, man, like, that's my line. Like, I, you can't, I don't want you sharing my lines with Troy. And so it got like, so it kind of got a little weird. I had to like separate my my what i saw with those guys um and it got like you know i would have to get on the radio like we had open communication radio so um aaron didn't want me on the radio 
radioing his line so that Troy and Kanipa could hear him. So, you know, I'd have be like, hey, John, go to three or, you know, we would. So I would go to a different channel to tell Aaron his lines and then vice versa for Troy. Um, you know, so inside the tent, it got like, you know, it got it got super competitive, man. I mean, I like one time I know John was like I saw him working on Aaron's bike. He was over there like tooling around and I could tell like. They were being a little bit, he was being a little bit secretive about it. And I, I didn't know what was up. So I walked over there. I was like, John, what are you doing? He's like, oh, nothing. I'm like, no, man, what are you doing? He goes, listen, man, we, we figured something out. You know, we, we would prefer if you didn't tell Troy or any of the other competition because, you know, we're battling. I was like, I respect that, dude. You guys are, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. So yeah, I, for sure. You know, I, I won't, if you guys have figured something out, I won't share it. Okay. I got it. You know? And he was like, dude, we, what we're doing is we're, we're loosening the spoke tension on our wheels because, you know, the, the bike, the wheels are more, they conform better to the, you know, Aaron likes the way it feels. I'm like, oh, dude, we were doing that. We were doing that 15 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, dude, you got to remember the shit we rode, John. You know, you got good suspension now. We didn't have good suspension and our tires sucked. You know, it's like I said, but yeah, that totally works. You know, if, if, if you're feeling a lot of square edges and the, and the, the, the rocks are really coming through the bike into your feet and your hands. That is one thing that you can do, especially if there's not a lot of G like G out type corners where the, the wheels are folding over. Yeah. You can, you can get away with that. So, but yeah, it was interesting, man. That was, that was the, you know, then I had a uh, hyper hyper was just hyper was a shit job or the shit part of the hyper job was that like, you know, we developed a bike and then for nine years, we never produced it. And I was trying and trying and wanting and wanting and it never got, it's still isn't to market. They still aren't to market. And a couple of years in, I finally realized that they never really had plans to come to market with those bikes. It was just a marketing deal to appease the buyers at Walmart. So that was a little bit um, frustrating and just the lack of communication that I had there. A lot of phone calls, emails and stuff like that. Just general stuff nothing that's unique to hyper i mean that's the the work the real world but you know it's um i will say needles it was a really really hard it was hard going from being a professional athlete that didn't never had a backup plan i never went to college i didn't have a degree in anything and to get out uh to to basically get you know, it was like, okay, your marketing value for us is no longer, right? You're not valuable enough for us to even pay you from a marketing standpoint. So then you're just, you're done. You don't, you know, you're not, you're not supported. And people that you used to do testing for at a high level, you know, you call them and you call them and ask them for parts, man. You like, Hey, can I get some parts? I'll even buy them. Can I get them at a discount? And you get no return calls. And Things like that were uh, hard. It was hard to 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 come to the realization that you know it was all, bro, you're the best, bro, until you're not. And I I don't I don't harbor any animosity towards those people. Now I'm being on the other side. In when I was involved in marketing and sales and stuff, I understand why they have budgets. They have people they have to answer to. But you don't get prepared for that. Nobody tells you that when you're a pro athlete or they didn't tell me, Hey man, just know that, you know, you're our bro now, but in five years, you're not going to be our bro. <laughs> and that was hard for me. Like that was a, 
it was a really hard thing because a lot of those guys were my real close, I felt close personal friends. And then they, they just, dude, the communication just drops off. So it, it, that took a, that was, I think that was the hardest part about the transition and going from a pro athlete to not being a pro athlete. And it took me a while, man. I was, you know, pretty depressed actually, like going through that and trying to get my way through. And luckily I have my wife and my kids that keep me focused on positive and allow me to take a step back and realize the things I am truly blessed to have in my life. Um, and to give me perspective on what's truly important. So I'm in a better spot now. Just, I got my job. I love my job. I'm building trails. Um, I get to ride with my kids. I still am involved in the bike industry. I have a few people that still support me. Darren at Suntour hooks me up still. Um, Hollywood works at Saris. I get some bike racks. Uh, Roger at Kinda gives me some, some tires here and there. And I got a buddy Hector at HT pedals, Hector, the connector. Uh, he gives me some stuff too. So I have some people that really that still help me out. Um, and I'm grateful for those guys, but it's, I'm, I'm in a much better place now at my job. Now, I don't feel like there's any shit involved with it. I love, I'm, I actually feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is building trails and creating an atmosphere for kids and families to ride their bike and create awesome memories. These trails are going to be here way after I'm long gone, dude. So yeah, that's a cool it. way. It's a cool, fulfilling way to look at it. And I, I mean, that's always what I want to ask. It's someone like you or someone that's retired and um, we would have released it. I spoke to Timo uh, Pritzel as well. And yep. and it's hard for me. Like people say, Cheech, you transition so well and got so much going on. And I and I am and I'm I'm super lucky. Right. And I'm aware of that. But man, it's a mental challenge on the daily. Right. And and you raced in some of the heydays of downhill mountain biking. We're talking outside sponsorship, car sponsorship. You know, I Hyundai with Mongoose GT, and before that, that I mean, the factory GT is like <laughs> what everyone what everyone looked up to. Like when you're on that team with PD and stuff. Um, and and before that, I want to dig into. But yeah, I mean, I think it's good for people to understand how difficult it is to just you're basically going cold turkey, right? Yeah. From, from like you said, everyone kissing your ass, giving you free stuff, getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Especially back in the heyday, it was good money, really yes. good money. And yeah. then you switch, it's you switch off the tap, and then you right. switch off like the communication. You know, you're like, shit. I know it's budgets, but you could at least return my phone call and be honest. Like, hey, right. we just can't support you. But it's almost like it's easier for them not to respond. Some of them, and I'm not picking on anyone. Yeah, it's yeah. just the you're, nature of the beast of pro sports. Like the yes. Olympics have the same problem. Like you're on the conveyor belt and then it's the next it's, young guy that's better than you and is going to accept less salary. See you later, it, buddy. It is. It, and that's, it's true. And, and just so your lis- listeners understand, I don't, I don't want it to, I don't want them to go, Oh, must've been so hard to be a, you know, a top pro and getting all that money. Cry me a river, you know, and, and I want to, I want to, you know, say, dude, I'm so lucky. I have lived a charmed life and I still now that I have perspective, right? So now I have a good perspective on my pro career and even my transition out of my pro career. Dude, I was lucky. Like I was lucky that out of my pro career, I was able to get a job at Hyper. Clay at Hyper offered me a position when GT said, you're no longer valuable to us. 
um, from a marketing standpoint. So I'm, I was blessed. Um, and then the 100% and Marin, even the job it specialized, all of those things. I was so blessed to have those opportunities, man. They're, I'm not, I don't want it to sound like I'm, it was all complete shit. No, no, you definitely don't. No, right. no, but I but appreciate you giving yeah, the Yeah, but it wasn't easy. And that's, that's the thing, right? Um, because on the outside, it's smoke and mirrors, right? It's so easy to take these things and you can craft a, an image of how amazing your life is. It's like, oh, you can post all these amazing posts and you can craft this perfect image of what everything is. But behind the scenes, dude, it's, you know, it's, dude, it's smoke and mirrors. It's like a magic show, right? There's all kinds of shit going on behind the curtain. Well, that's what transitioning when you're not, I wasn't smart enough, dude. I didn't invest my money like Lopes and PD and Menar. And I didn't make as much money as those guys anyways, but those guys invested and now they have things that they're, you know, they have business entities that they're doing you as well. You have a bike shop, like you've done good with the things. And I think, you know, you and I talked about that many, many times when I was getting towards the end of my career. And I was telling you, dude, take your money and put it somewhere. Don't be like me and spend that shit on stupid stuff. So I didn't do that. That's the lesson I had to learn. That's the the cross I had to bear for being an idiot and not taking my money and spending it wisely. But um, it doesn't make it any easier. It was hard, man. That was a really hard thing. So um, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a it is pretty vicious, man. It's a vicious thing when the companies start saying, hey, man, sorry. You know, I know. I know, dude, I know. Last month in December and November, I know we sent you you 20 pairs of shoes and we asked you what your five best friends sizes are because we sent them shoes but guess what i can't even send you a pair of shoes now and that's the reality of it and so dude it's pretty gnarly <laughs> yeah it's like a death dude a career is like you've got to well, let go of so much and that's that like self identity if you identify too hard i mean you were good about being i'm i'm a father i'm a husband like you had some really strong identities, which obviously, you know, in, in reflection are more important. And, and you taught me a lot of that, you know, and, and it taught me to have a good time while we being professional, like, cause you'd seen probably how serious and professional and dedicated you were and what you're missing out. And you probably saw that in me. So that's, right. that's super interesting, but uh, it comes up a lot. And that's one of the reasons is to reconnect with guys and also like, Hey, it's quite difficult. This whole not being a professional, and not knowing what to focus on either, right? Now you've got this amazing trail center and park that you're building, and you're like, wow, I right. could leave people trails. When I'm gone from this earth, Correct. maybe people will still ride. That's pretty cool to focus on. But those first few years, it's like, okay, I'll try that. I'll try that. You're probably like, oh, hyper, build a bike. Yeah, that'll be fulfilling. Maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, right? Right, right. Well, that's the thing, right, is you don't – I guess – you know, to summarize it, the hardest part about it is for me, I was a pro, I was paid as on a marketing budget. You know, me and John were doing the good times tour GT where we were doing dealer visits and bike festivals and stuff from 38. Uh, I was 38 years old from so 38, 39 and 40. So for three years, we were able to do that. That was the end of my career. So I was done being paid as a professional at 40. So it's different, right? Like a lot. So I had to figure out and find who I was and what I was going to be when I grew up, when I was 40, when I had a wife and two kids to support, right? A lot of this happens sooner in your life when you're 
in your 20s and you don't have any responsibilities. So there's less stress and there's less dependency on you to perform and deliver a wage and the things that you need to do to support what you have. And that was that I think that was the hardest part for me was like, man, like I I have three people that are dependent on me to figure this out and I have to figure it out in two months. Yeah, fair. You don't have that time, right? If you're 25 and you have a fiance or girlfriend, you're like, we'll get through this, sleep right. on the, you know, sleep on the floor for a while. We'll get through this, right? Right. But you're right. That's another interesting thing. Like if you weren't prepared for it or it happened quite quickly thinking, well, because well, I thought what you're doing was great, right? You were kind yeah. of a little bit too early for the EWS Enduro thing and you were trying to do that. But then yeah. you were like just too ahead of the internet boom, like where people are doing what you were doing, but now YouTube right. and they want that content and those good times and interactions. So I know it's, it's and crazy, it wasn't right? like, like you had the plan, but you were just too early for it to be like a 10 year cycle. So you had yes. like a three year cycle on it. Yeah. So that, and that's kind of, I mean, it, you know, I, I think about it often, like what me and, and sniper were doing, it was, it was, it was early, right? Like we, you know, literally for GT, you know, I actually, I talked with Travis Chiprez about what to do. Cause he basically said like, Hey man, I'm just letting you know, the discussions are coming down and what you're doing as a racer, you're doing good. You're still winning championships for us, but they're looking at the future now and you're not in it as a racer. So he said, you know, you need to develop programs that are going to tie you to a sale. So we developed the Mongoose Tribe program where it was a buy-in program. We created a team atmosphere and all these sub teams. And we sold, basically, I, I was a, I, they set me up as a dealer. I sold bikes as a dealer. I was the, I didn't even have brick and mortar, but I was the number one downhill bike dealer in the nation for Mongoose at the time. So we developed a Tribe program. Then I got moved over to GT. But everything I was doing was trying to connect myself to how could I be doing something that wasn't so robotic of just doing sales and but still be attached to sales so myself and john uh, uh Kanipa, we hatched this good time store which was for gt he would take the trailer around and then i would fly like if there was a bike festival on a saturday and sunday we would fly into the area i would find the area on tuesday we would head all the local dealerships with the local rep and drive interest and it was appreciation. We would just go in and give them swag and let them know we appreciate their business, talk with them about their business, learn a little bit about their business, take that back and give that information back to our in, inside sales team. And then we would invite those guys to come out to the bike festival and hang out in our pits at wherever it was. Dude, it killed it. We grew, we grew regions. You know, Adam Andrade was, we really focused on Pacific Northwest. Adam Andrade was the sales rep of there. And we grew his numbers. I think we grew his numbers by like 40 or 50%. I would imagine it sounds like a great concept. You could still do that concept now. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was awesome. Like it worked really well, but like you said, it was before the internet, right? Like imagine being able to, the content you could create off of those things. We did a bike festival up there, Mount Bike, Oregon. I mean, we had like Dude, we had like a flip cup table in the in the pits. We were playing flip cup, and uh, I mean, we was a we had a party in the pits. And then GT gave us these little 12 inch kids bikes, and we had like pit bike racing in the beer garden at this bike festival. We were the party, and 
the content that that would create now would be amazing. People, it would, brands would be flocking to that, but we didn't have the internet like that. We were just too early and I didn't get out. I didn't survive long enough to when the internet thing took off. Um, and so I missed that boat. Thankfully now, I, I, I mean, I see some guys now that, that, uh, are older and they're not bracing competitively and I see them still trying to like, they're still trying to feed that internet monster and create that content. And some of that content, you're like, oh man, <laughs> that's a little bit, you're, you're really trying a little hard there, man. And I'm so glad I'm not a slave to that. Yeah. I'm just, but it is, you I'm become a slave, right? Because there's views and likes and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge on its, on its own, right? I didn't, I didn't realize needles, how gnarly that, that thing was. I was, me and my kids, we go roller skating at our local skating rink on Friday and Saturday night. I don't think you meant to put that out into the world. You normally keep oh, that dude. to yourself. No, I love it, man. A roller care. rink or what are they called? Is that, is yeah, that, yeah. that's like more popular now than ever, huh? Yeah. Roller it's skating. Like coming got, back. My roller skates are actually five tens. I put a pair of five tens on my roller skates. So <laughs> anyways, we go, man, I have a good time with my kids. I, everything I do, all that stuff. But, um, I was there one night and this kid Rocco, I forget his last name, but he's like an internet YouTube you know, millions of subscribers, big time YouTube guy. And I saw his mom walk in. I didn't know who he was. My kids told me. So I actually stood next to her and her friend on the side of the rink. And I was listening to her talk about what they were doing. Dude, the kid comes in, you know, the mom films him buying the tickets, sends him straight over to the snack bar, buys a pizza and some drinks. They didn't even eat the pizza. They just put it on the table after they were done filming throws him out on the rink. He does a couple of laps. She's filming him and then films an exit of leaving the rink. They were there 30 minutes. And I heard her talking. She's like, yeah, we have like four more stops we have to do today. And it like the kid, dude, it sucked. Like the yeah, kid you don't stay- you don't live, man. And and sometimes you don't ride because you're always like, oh, I got to do the Insta post. And I'm thankful. I'm not I'm literally not bitching for the listeners right. out there. But if you're not aware, you you miss out on life. Like the present, yes. it's so like it's yeah, it's a slippery slope. It is so, and you know, some of those guys, some of the guys are really. Ha- I see, you know, I see a bunch of influencers that are doing, you know, they're living in their vans and they're posting stuff, and they seem to be enjoying it. Um, they're loving their life. Um, I think the younger the kids and the people that are younger, I think it's it's really good um, that they're doing it. I think you know, um, but I'm I'm thankful that in some regards, I'm thankful that I don't have that holding over me. I'm thankful that that's not how I make my wage because man, it is, it seems just really like, I mean, I guess it's no different than a real job, but it just, it seems, it it would seem weird for me now because what I perceived my biking career as and what it was, that seems like it would be very, um, it wouldn't be very enjoyable to, to every single time you go ride to have to stop on every ride on every run to film and create content. And then you get done with your ride and you got to do the, con- it's like, dude, I love riding my bike. I want to ride my bike. And I, you know, I do film here and there every once in a while, but I find myself, sometimes I'll go out and I'll go, you know what? I should post a couple of clips just for fun. And I get done with the ride and I'm like, dude, I didn't even really film any clips because I was having too much fun riding my bike. And I can't imagine having to stop that flow. That would really suck. So, yeah, amen Anyways. to that. But um, 
I mean, I think we should dig into this career of yours because it's legendary. And yeah. um, and you helped out a lot of riders and I think you inspired a lot of riders and you pushed a lot of riders to become some better. And this was in the in the heydays. Maybe if the guys want to Google the BMX side of it, but you transitioned from BMX, you know, world championships as a youngster and and then you kind of get this mountain bike boom and you kind of were at the sort of forefront of it and racing in America and it was on TV and and uh yeah talk to me a little bit about that because i don't think people know how big it kind of was back then you know yeah it was pretty big man it got it got pretty pretty awesome so like yeah i grew up racing bmx um went in i was a, a top amateur super fast amateur and then i turned pro for a year kind of got a little burned out and then um at that time, I, I had known McGrath since I was like 13. So we were buddies racing on the same BMX team before he went racing moto. I was like 19 or 20. All of a sudden, I thought I was going to race Supercross. So I bought motorcycles and went. I raced moto for two years. What? Alongside I, McGrath or like practice well, with him and stuff? Or? Yeah, I would go. Well, the, like, you know, that's a very broad term. <laughs> alongside if, McGraw. if we alongside and practiced with is a pretty broad term if you mean if, if you mean by practiced with him meaning i parked in the same parking lot then yes yeah <laughs> yeah okay. i practiced with him <laughs> but um you know often i would go to practice tracks with him as like a second person so that he wouldn't be there by himself but I spent a lot of time with Jeremy and and and, and you helped him with his you helped him with his uh, after parties yeah. and his uh, taking his mind off motocross. Did you not Lake Havasu and all those I, places? I, I I did a bit, but I I will <laughs> tell you I did a bit. But um, one night I was staying at his parents' house, which and he lived there at the time. And this is when he was on 125s. He was on peak pro circuit, and I mean it's just like stones throw away from my house now like literally um but yeah you know jeremy was asleep and me and jack his dad were up watching tv and uh watching all motor races and he like just matter of fact and jack's a straight shooter dude like the straightest shooter ever no bullshit you know loves to have a good time i'll have a, have a beer with you but like absolutely tells you how it is and says like how he sees it and he just looked at me he goes hey man i need to talk to you I was like, okay, what's up, Big Jack? And he's like, hey, dude, I don't know how far this thing's going to go. And this is Jeremy Stone 125. He goes, this kid's going pretty fast, dude. He's starting to win some races. We don't know where this is going to go. He goes, I kind of think he's sitting on a lotto ticket right now. And he go, he just looked at me. He goes, you, I, you can't fuck this up for us, dude. And I was like, okay. He's like, look, man, I know you like to drink beer. I know you like to party and shit. But I'm asking you, like, don't like don't drag him down that road and and i was like yeah fair enough man and so i was like friends with two groups of guys right like buddy antonez emig those guys those guys were like those guys were throttled up party guys and jeremy when he was first getting going he wasn't a party guy until he got like maybe last year peak pro circuit or maybe his first year on honda and i kind of stopped hanging out with jeremy a little bit because I didn't want to be that guy. I I told Jack I wouldn't be that guy. So I would, I mean, I did go, don't get me wrong. Me and Jeremy partied. We had some good times together. We did go to Havasu. But, you know, like the legendary stories that really got going, 94, 95, 96, all that kind of stuff. 
I wasn't really around there because I only raced moto from 90 to 92. And then in 93, I came back to cycling mostly because Jeremy, dude, I was so fat from drinking beer. We were at Havasu one time and I got out of my tent. We used to sleep on this island and he looked at me and he goes, oh my gosh, dude, look at your stomach. You look pregnant. <laughs> and, and I did. And so that was one of the things that got me back into racing. I went to, um, I went to the bike shop that used to sponsor me and asked them for mountain bikes. And they came back and said, Hey, you know, BC Dave said, why don't you, uh, come back in a month and we will uh talk about what that means and so then i came back in a month and he had bikes built for me he said you're gonna go race the norba circuit these are all your bikes all you have to do is jump in the van and go and i was like yeah, okay yeah let's go let's uh, let's do it i'm up for it you know like you know me dude okay so <laughs> let's, let's go <laughs> so but for the listeners' context, I mean, I hope they know who Jerry McGrath is, but he is one of the most badass and legendary goats of motocross. So yes. look him look him up. For, for EC to sort of probably see what he was doing in motocross, I wonder if that sparked something in you when you saw a few, like, race results in mountain biking. But um, you hadn't done much mountain biking before this when this guy said, None. We'll, get, we'll get you a bike. And we One time. see, and and so he just knew of your BMX career, and he's like, "You might have something. You coming racing with us?" It was that simple. Yeah. Well, there, uh, te- yes, it was in um, application, but there's backstory to it. So, I grew up racing BMX. Um, Cully also went through this same shop. There was a lot of guys that went through that shop, right? So. BC Dave and the guys at Bicycle Center, they were always trying to get me to race mountain bikes. And I thought they were clowns. I was like, dude, I'm not riding those stupid bikes in your underwear with an ice chest on your head. You're crazy, dude. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing that. You know, the the stems that were, you know, the the your listeners won't know, but the bars used to be welded to two tubes that welded to a Yeah, that's a even before tube. my time. Thank goodness. Right. That's like 80s. Yeah. Late 80s, right? And so I looked at those bikes and I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. That does not look fun. That looks stupid. And look at so the gear kooky actually back then. Eh? So yeah. kooky. So I just never would, never would, never would. And then Cully transitioned and he went, he basically took the slot that those guys were always trying to get me to do. And Cully killed it, dude. He was amazing. He still is. I mean, he's an amazing guy does not get enough credit for how good he is on it or good he was or is on a bike. I agree. I agree. So, like, no one even shows him enough. How talented is is he? One of the most talented guys in a mountain bike you've ever seen. I think so. Because that I was going to ask you. You know, you've obviously got Sam Hill stories and stuff, and yeah, but but Cully was Cully was the guy that we would do downhill runs, and he would be coasting, and I would be pedaling, and he would be pulling away from me. He was just so smooth and flowing and he was really he really knew how to arc his corners and carry corner speed he was just amazing man when our equipment dude it was so i mean i don't want to say it was subpar it was state of the art in 92 93 but compared to what we have now it was i mean dude there are cross-country bikes in the world cup series now that are better than the downhill bikes we raced in 92 and 93 you would be faster on a modern cross-country full suspension bike like the one 100%. that Nino rides 
you would go faster in a downhill back then on that bike than what we had. Mm. So anyways, um, back to the story, Cully was on BC. We saw him, all the BMX guys were like, oh my gosh, Cully is killing it in mountain bikes. He's getting paid. Um, I, I did a bike ride with Lee Donovan. She, I think she let me borrow a bike and we did this climb in, in Orange County and it, dude, like it was me, Lopes, her, Pistol Pete. I don't know, there was a couple others and it ruined me. Like I was ruined, dude. I mean, climb 500 feet. I was so miserable. I hated it, dude. <laughs> I was just miserable. And, uh, you know, me and Lee still laugh about it, but you know, the, the descent was amazing. I loved it, but the climb, oh my gosh. So anyways, BC Dave offers me this ride. I, I just went for it, man. Like he knew that I had skills on a BMX bike and he saw what Dave had done with his skills on a BMX bike. So he figured, yeah, like you, you could, you could probably do pretty good in the transition. And I did, I did great in slalom. I sucked. Uh, I don't say I sucked. I was like a, maybe a top 10 in the expert on downhill. I, I was, I was scared. I was totally scared. I didn't want to go fast. I was afraid to wreck. But slalom was like BMX, so I love that. And um, when when do you get to the point? Because we've chatted about some of these teams that you had that were run by interesting team managers, and yeah. you basically would get paid more or get fired if you didn't join them in the bar a and or strip club before races. Like you also yeah. on some pretty interesting teams before it was yeah. professional. Like so we you were, have some stories before it got little. Okay, yeah, we were in the gym and we're gonna pay you a proper salary. Like you saw it all. Well, we got paid good. I, I mean, dude, I, I, I'd never raced a pro downhill race. I was only an expert, but I had won some slaloms and um, in pro, the slalom was in pro. Correct. Yeah. 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 So I, I won, I won my first race as a pro in slalom at Big Bear. It was my very first race. I won the pro down a pro slalom. And literally going back up the hill in the back of the truck, this was the heyday. This is when 93, when the sport was starting to boom and guys were like handing me business cards and be like, no shit. So, honestly, yeah, and I, honestly, and check this out needles. We were racing. We didn't have jerseys like, you know, normal BMX jerseys or moto jerseys. So I was in a cross country Jersey and I had a pocket. I had pockets in the back of my Jersey. So I was just stuffing them in the back of my pocket. And then at the end of the night, we were at dinner or not at dinner. We were in the condo getting ready to go out to dinner. And I pulled all the business cards out and I put them on the table and I gave them to BC Dave. And I said, Hey, I want you to hold on to these. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, all these guys, they, they said they want to sponsor me, blah, blah, blah. I committed to you for the summer. I want to go have fun with you in the van. I don't care about this stuff. Like just hold on to those for me. So he did. Um, but yeah, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't that good at downhill at the start. I, like I said, I was scared, but I still got a pro contract. I think I got paid. I think Barracuda paid me 40 grand. To, is this, to this the first pro contract that following years was Barracuda? Yeah. yeah. And it was a two-year deal. That's good back then, dude. That's probably six figures. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to do some inflation. And Jimmy Kite was on the mathematics. team. Mathematics. And Johnny O'Mara was on the team, a motocross legend, uh, Matt Smith, Eric Sakadinsky. There was a, just a, a, a group of us on Barracuda. And then Stickman was our mechanic. <laughs> and, and dude, it was 
it was wild. Like it was crazy, dude. So you have to understand the owners of the company, Dave Southwell and John Weggie. Dave Southwell was, I guess his parents had a business. They were super wealthy kids. His parents had a business that took like Madison Square Garden and, um, you know, the uh, different arenas, big basketball arenas in the in North America and redid those like he would this his dad's fan, uh, business would go redo all those arenas. The other guy, John Weggie, his dad owned a office furniture company called Steelcase, which is like this massive. His dad had a, a bronze like half statue of himself in the Chicago O'Hare Airport. So like just super wealthy kids, you know, like they tell stories about like when they're on their graduation night, when they were going out to party, like they went out and wrecked the Porsche and then went and got a Ferrari and took it out. Like they were those guys. So they were just, I mean, they were wild, dude. They were, there's a wild, these, they were young. They were like our age with as much money as they wanted. And then we got sponsored by Dosecki. So we were sponsored by a beer company. So the whole thing was just like, just twist the throttle and just go, man. I mean, we literally, we had this, this rig was such a piece of shit. Like our trailer was so heavy and it was loaded. The whole overhang, the tongue of the trailer was packed full of beer. And it was so heavy because we were always handing cases of beer out at the races and stuff that like stick man, <laughs> stick man, the, the, car overheated so bad that it melted the the vents <laughs> inside the he had to drive with the heaters on it was still overheating and it melted the vents and southwell and weggy they basically they told him to try to rig up the pressure washer so when he was driving he could pressure wash the engine and cool it off while we were driving <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we basically the, the the premise of the company was like sponsored by a beer company like go to the bar, go to the strip club, go have fun, like go raise hell, go get crazy and, and have a good time. And that was the deal, man. Like you had, you were like, that was part of being on the team is just to, to get wild. I mean, our last race the next year, um, Stickman went and did his deal with Mongoose and Lee and, and Brian Lopes. And those guys were racing and um, stick had had enough of all the bullshit that we were dealing with. And, um, so we actually got, um, Jimmy kite knew Joe Buckley and I've, you know, I don't, your listeners won't know who Joe Buckley is, but he was Palmer's mechanic, you know, after he was with us, he was long time in the circuit. Now he's a high level dude at specialized, but we broke Joe Buckley in and, uh, dude, the last race we had, we had, we were in, we kind of knew that the party was over. It was, we, we were hearing rumors that the team was going to disband and it wasn't going to basically the parents got tired of giving the kids money for us to go racing bikes weren't selling just you know all the all the the classical stories that you know when you're in the industry about companies like this that start and um dude we the condo we had it was like we had went and got a bunch of fireworks and we literally had like a bottle rocket and like firecracker fight inside the condo I'd never seen shit like that, dude. Like I'd seen some <laughs> lot of stuff, but bottle rockets flying down the hallway of the condo. I was just like, Oh my God, dude, we're going to really literally burn this place down <laughs> to the ground. It was, yeah, it was and, nuts, man. And you're getting paid to do it technically as well. Maybe, yeah, not, the, mean, maybe was, not the following year, but you were getting paid that year. It was, yeah, it was fun. Like I will say 
personally, I think I've wasted two years of my career. Yeah, um, fair enough. But you didn't know any better. I mean, you didn't have no. an opportunity anywhere else at that time. I wasn't, I, I, what, well, I didn't take the opportunity as serious as I should. I just continued partying on and drinking beers. Obviously we had beer as our sponsor. So, um, you know, I, I could have taken it more serious and it wasn't until the next year that, um, I didn't have a sponsor, dude. I lost my, my deal with Barracuda. They folded. Um, I was going to ride for Diamondback. Um, and at the 11th hour, um, the team manager at the time, you know, we were, we had negotiated the thing. I was like, all right, sweet. I got a place to, to land. And dude, just stop calling me just plain and simple. Stop calling me, stop communicating with me. And I found out from a, somebody else six weeks later, now we're like mid December when it's too late, budgets have been spent that they were going to, um, they were going to get Scott Sharples. So they, they took Scott Sharples instead of myself. Uh, I didn't have, I had nothing, dude. I mean, like, I had nothing. I had money in the bank account left over from my BMX years and my Barracuda days. But like I was, dude, I was, I was, I was scared, really, really, really scared. Cause I was like 26 years old. I don't have a, no degree. I don't have nothing, dude. So I actually went to Troy Lee and said, Troy, I'm calling people. Nobody will talk to me. Everybody just talks about budgets being spent. So we sat in Troy's office and he literally got on the phone while I was sitting there and said, you know, he called Doug Martin at GT. Uh, he called the guys at Michelin. Uh, he called the guys at Shimano uh, and just was like, hey, he just he said, hey, it's Troy. I'm starting a mountain bike team. And these are my riders. And Jimmy Kite didn't have a ride and Jimmy Deaton didn't have a ride either. So us three banded together and formed. Troy Lee race team. I bought a trailer, had it painted. Um, and I bought a van piece of shit, dude, the ultimate shit box. So, but I, I was like, well, we got to a point once Troy got us that support of, and it was just free stuff. Like we just, we didn't get, I wasn't getting a salary. I was only getting bonuses. And I remember the time I was with, she was my girlfriend at the time, but I remember sitting down with my wife and just saying, oh, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is crazy. Like I, I don't have a job. I, I'm not going to make money from this. Like, this is crazy. We should take this money that I have and we should just put a down payment on my house on a house and we should be done. And I had been training with uh, Lee Donovan's coach Val. And so I was, it was, I was taking it serious and I was, I was getting fast. And I was like right on the cusp. And I'm so grateful that my wife said, you know what? Let's go for it. Like, what let's am just... That's amazing. That's cool that she had that so support we, for you. Yeah. yeah. So we literally spent the down payment on our house to go racing that year in 96. Dude, my back was against the wall, man. So I didn't miss a training session. I worked my ass off. And that year I won the slalom title. I was second in downhill. Um, I was getting downhill podiums. I got second at the unofficial slalom in Australia at Worlds. And then I got fourth in the downhill as a privateer. So you had found that downhill speed by then. then. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Like that, that came it was as a well. Big then you were like a double threat if you could do the slalom and the downhill. Because that was hard doing double duty, right? More people did Correct. it back then. 
but yeah. it didn't mean you would do both well. You know, one always like seemed to suffer a bit. Yeah, yeah. So that was '96, um, and that was a big pivotal year for me. That was the first year that I like. My coach was he was no nonsense, right? So it was. I mean, of course, you had beers at the races, but I I wasn't partying. But that like was I like was. after the race, even then, right? You would probably yeah save save most of them till after the race. But even 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 after the race, like I w- I had turned a page on, yeah. and so I needed I needed to t- take a couple of years, and focus on becoming a better racer, and so I did. I I I laid off of the booze. I was putting tons of road miles and ton of training, gym time, swimming in the pool, dude. I mean, it was, we got to the point where I could swim for like 40 minutes nonstop in the pool. I mean, I was fit, dude. I was super, super fit. And I, I needed that. Did I you go to- show McGrath your new fit body or what? Yeah, totally. No, he was, he's totally supportive too, but I needed to grow up, man. I needed to grow up and take the opportunity that I had and the skill that I was blessed with and I needed to make good on it. Right. I, I yeah. couldn't at that point, I couldn't just survive on just drinking beer and being good enough skill set. I had to work and, and it was time for me to do it. And I did. And I was, I'm thankful that Lee plugged me into her trainer. I'm so thankful for that trainer Val who showed me how to be a true professional. Um, and that really saved my career. I'm still benefiting from it, dude. Like that one decision of do I take the money and put it on a house or do Fuck, you that's know, me cool, and my girlfriend, dude. time do we go? And we that's were like, so cool, dude, it was all but chips. You, you want to, you bet on the person with his back against the wall. I'm betting on that guy, you know, well, th- you got no choice you, but to succeed. It's the one thing you control, right? Like if I bet on myself there, I'm in control of that. I, I can, I can work hard. Right. And you have to have belief. You can't lie to yourself. Right. So you have to look in the mirror and go, am I lying to myself? Am I hoping or can I really do this? And you have to have some pretty interesting, hard conversations with yourself. Nobody else has to be involved and make a real hard decision. And dude, we, like I said, we pushed all the chips in, we pushed them all in and Dude, it, it paid off. I lost money that year. I lost all that money. I won titles, even with my bonuses, you know, spending money to go to Worlds and Australia, all that stuff. I lost a bunch of money that year, but I looked at it as an investment into my career. And dang it, I'm still at 52 benefiting from it because I'm still building. I'm building. I would have never been a trail builder or a bike park manager. I would have never had the experiences I had. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because I would have never met you, dude. Yeah. So I'm. I'm super grateful for. I don't think you can ever not um, get something worthwhile out of investing in yourself, whether it's buying a book, uh, learning a new skill, working out, like anything that's positive, right? Right. You know, right. like spending money on something that could further you as a person or your even, career. Like it'll pay off somewhere down the line, right? Even if you fail, right? Yeah, even yeah. You probably you learn f- more, huh? Right. So even if you fail, if you bet on yourself, at least you know that like you did everything that was in your control, right? And so, or you, you at least you took the shot, right? Mm. You, you, you make, you know, what do they say? You make zero, zero goals for the shots you never take. Yeah. You got to take a shot. I mean, you yeah, got to yeah, like, definitely. imagine, imagine had I not done that. Imagine how much regret and resentment I would have had yeah. looking back, right? Now. I'd have been like, 
what could have been imagine how grumpy and shitty you'd be in a bar and kelly just like oh yeah like throwing darts with someone like oh yeah i i could have done that yeah i just fucking no one would have signed me that yet i mean imagine that right and and i had this conversation with a friend in another industry and i just said because i was already into my career and i mean they would say things like are you not going to have a beer and I'm like, no, they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, I've made a decision that the race starts in April. So right. it's January. I'm not having a beer, right? Right. And what I got to, I said, look, it doesn't matter. If you want to be a pro, great. If you don't, that's also fine. Both those answers are, are right. But be Correct. honest. If you do want to make a go at this, then why don't you stop drinking and give it 100% even if you fail in two years, five years? Exactly what you said. I was like, right. that's how I looked at it. I was like, dude, at least Same. give yourselves a shot. And if you're pissing it away on booze or, you know, like half wheeling it in the gym, like you kind of know if you're doing it or not. Yeah. I mean, that you you totally know. Every, yeah, you know. Uh, everyone look, knows, right? If you're at that, If you're at a level that you could make a go of it, then you know – when you're half-assing it yeah and you know when and sometimes that comes from being unmotivated or burned out or there's a million reasons why but it doesn't matter the reason why doesn't matter it's that you know when you're doing it that you're mailing that shit in dude you're not you're not present you're just mailing it in just going fuck yeah i went to the gym it's like yeah dude you you know you're supposed to be doing five sets and you did three on every exercise and you missed the whole last exercise because you were you were tired and your, your buddies were going to go to the, uh, they were going to the beach and you didn't want to miss the car. It's like, dude, you can't, you got to make you to be at a high level. You got to make sacrifices. And you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that I had enough smarts and I had people like Lee that were turning me and turning me onto their coaches and creating or Troy Lee that were giving me the pieces that I needed all I had to do was plug into it and take those. They're, they're, all these things were given to me. They were like, here, here's all the pieces to your puzzle. And all I had to do was go, thank you. I'm going to build this puzzle. And I did. And here we are. So, I mean, I love it. But, dude, it's so scary to think about. Like, imagine if I would have just caved in, dude, and I would have not, and I would have been a coward and not taken the shot. Oh, my God. Where gosh. do you think you would have been? Ah, oh, dude, I would have been. Yeah, man, I would have been that probably would have been that guy at the bar, the grumpy guy telling stories of all the shit I should have or could have done. And I probably would have been digging ditches or running heavy equipment or doing something like that. I'm not qualified. I'm, dude, I'm not I don't have a degree in anything. So, you know, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I would have sold real estate. I don't know. But I definitely it would it would have been a very. I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad that I was that I don't. <laughs> no, it's, I am glad too because I got to beat you. And uh, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have got my first factory ride on Mongoose. I don't know if you remember dragging me into the truck in uh, Snowmass, Colorado. I think that was it Snowmass. Been, it might have been Colorado. I mean, I, the I, conversation started earlier, but I I do remember coming got, into the truck there uh, earlier. Yeah, and this was. Well, that's, like probably your later years, you know, I don't want to yeah. skip the, the heydays, but, uh, um, you were, you were, you were getting, um, 
you were starting to go fast, dude. And you like, you really, really landed on everybody's radar in Idaho. Right. You, I think you won that race. Yeah. You yeah. You were like, you went no, really I, fast. I, yeah. And, and Greg was at it. I think he might've had a washout in the woods, but whatever. Yeah. So the the times like, times don't show the story. There's no video on the timesheet, right? If, if, well, <laughs> if, 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 if it's the biggest word of racing, what do they say? If if, if my fuck, mom, if my mom if my mom had a dick, she'd be my dad. Yeah, I fucking hope I was on someone's radar winning a race in America, beating Greg. God damn it! <laughs> God, yeah, for us, for us, for our team, for for it was like, oh, okay, this dude's legit, man. But it was and, hard, uh, like as a as a foreigner, like they were. And, and and not to call anyone out, it's pretty understandable because it's the industry and you market in America. There were Americans and and other nationalities that were getting way less results who were already on the radar, right? Yeah. And like, well, those and guys... I kind of had that, that, you know, you had to really prove yourself. They weren't like, oh, he's got potential, we'll give him a ride. It's like, no, prove yourself first, and then we can talk. So, yeah, we had. It was tough. it was it was weird, right? Because in the industry, I mean, I actually had this conversation with. Rich uh, Houseman and um, and Aaron Gwynn's present parents when Aaron first came out to Fontana, and I was saying like, hey, like Aaron has a nobody would have guessed that he would have gone and done what he's done and established and had this amazing career and made all the money that he's made. But like, I remember telling his parents like, you don't understand the opportunity you have right now. Right now, there's a our industry is American based primarily right so especially at that time and these companies would like nothing better than to have a an american downhiller that's competitive we we are we have been lacking that for a while um mikey brian lopes miles myself we were long in the tooth dude we were palmer you know we we had we were done with that we like weren't really being competitive in downhill anymore and the industry here was like dude, we need an American. And Aaron came along at the right time. And so it speaks to what you're talking about, you know, is like, I told his parents, I'm like, if he does pretty good, oh, dude, he's going to be able to get a six figure contract. Now we would have never guessed that he would have been making the money he's making now. It's a crazy, but, um, you were in that situation, right? Like if, if there was an American going the same speed as you, that American would have got that job. Um, and, the Aussies, those guys came over, like, you know, that group of guys that came over to Big Bear was like Kavorik, Rennie, Waddell. Uh, who else was there? Um, well, there was that era. I'm not sure if there's any else. Later was Sam, Jared, Bryn, and then I kind of went with those youngsters. And yeah, then before that was Sharples and Ronning. Ronning. It was yeah, kind those of those. Guys, unless we're missing someone with a Rennie, Kavorik, Waddell. No. I think those are the three. There was um Joel, uh, Joel. Oh, Joel Panazza was blitzing Panazza. fast too. Yeah, Panazza yeah, yeah, yeah. was and yeah, and the rainy one. Yeah, and Rando. And Shit, Rando. of course. There's the one, of course, Rando. And yeah. we're probably missing someone else. Ben Corey was junior world champion. There were so many, man. But those guys, Ronning and Sharples opened that door for those guys. They came over, and those guys were kind of like privateer, getting a little support from their distributors. And then they got big sponsors, right? Like they got, they were Fisher and Diamondback and Trick. Uh, Sharples went you know, on Trek. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, those guys were doing those guys were doing well, right? They made they made some good money, but that next group of guys that came over, those guys were like, I can remember the industry talking about those guys because they came over. There was like five or six of them living in the cranked cabin in Big Bear, 
dude, those guys were like fast as shit. And they were like, yeah, dude, we'll do it for like vans and a f- couple of free pizzas, man. And it like the market, it, it affected the market because you had these five Australia guys that would do it for pennies. And we were all trying to like get the market up and create the value for the riders. And it was like, so, you know, it was, it was, it was hard. Um, it was a, it was a weird time. Luckily Palmer came in at that same time and like, you know, balance, basically balanced it out and drove it up because he commanded so much money Then everybody else has got paid. And, you know, eventually those guys actually got on bigger teams and stuff, but they came over and like, dude, they fully privateered it, man. <laughs> they fully yeah, did dude. It. No, the whole joke of like, they'll do it for a free pair of shoes was, was pretty accurate. Like, but was that because no one would pay them in the beginning? Like, I yeah. don't think it was just because they wanted to. I mean, they didn't know. I've heard, like, PD had to tell Rennie, like, dude, you just won the title. Like, this is what you're going to ask for. He's like, oh, I can get that. So there was, like, a, yeah. a lack of education. But as well as the industry, three things. Lack of education, I think. Yeah. Uh, the industry on a bit of a downward cycle. And then yep. also maybe some guys in the industry taking a bit of advantage, which is all those things. It's all understandable. I don't know if right. I missed one there. No, no, no. You're 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 spot on. And that was exactly that was exactly you know, it's it, all those were that's exactly it. You know, those kids, dude, they were young kids. I, I mean, I was a privateer. I didn't have sponsors, but I I rode for for nothing in ninety six. You know, I was taking a shot on myself. They were taking a shot on themselves too. Dude, I um, was riding for nothing when I won the Norba. I beat Greg Manoy. He was on a six figure. Well, I, I must have been on six figures. Yeah. It's what so that, it's like your apprenticeship, right? You got to do an apprenticeship. You got to. Amen. You got to wash the dishes before you get to wait some tables, and then you maybe get to the management position. Maybe one day you own the team. Who knows? Yeah, but you. Yeah, but that's when you landed on our radar. I remember when it was like, we 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 were watching you before the season or during the season. But you really like that that race in uh was it Sandpoint, Idaho, I think it mm. was. You you like you went and that was a really, really nasty, rough, blown out course. I mean that course was dude, I hated that course. I could not hate Yeah, out it's kind of surprising. Like if <laughs> if you told me where I would have done it, I wouldn't have picked that one. Dude, I that course was so rough and I got such bad arm pump in that race. I'm not kidding you. I sat down. I'm in my race run and I clamped my, my knees to my seat. So I didn't have to hang on. And I rode with my fingers. I was trying to stretch out. I had yeah. such bad arm pump. I could not I hang on at that track. But I mean, years after that, that's all I suffered from. I was arm yeah. pump. So I don't even know how I did it there. I guess when you're young and desperate back against the wall, I was like, dude, I need to start making a wage here. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. That was a good, that was a good that's race. Funny, man. Yeah. That's when you landed on our radar, dude. And we were stoked to get you on board. Yeah, that was mm. that was wicked. Uh, yeah. So many things. What do you think? So what were the salaries back in the heyday? You're allowed to talk about that shit now. Like, what do yeah. we? What's the Palmer one? What was like the height of you know if you signed with GT? You know when there was car sponsors and it was on uh, Eurosport. Like the. I, I don't you know, know what are we what is what are we guesstimating? I don't know where I don't know exactly where Petey was. I know he was um, deservedly making more money than I was. He was, you know, he was Petey, right? I mean, he should be making more money. Mm. And I don't know what my teammates were making at GT. I know for me, I started at GT. <clears throat> I had to go backwards, right? Because like I did my 96 year with Troy Lee. 
then the next year I had an offer to ride for Schwinn for like 85 um, plus all travel and then a bonus structure. And then with Rotec, I got offered a, a like, I think it was like 110. So I took the job with Rotec, which was, oh, that was a whole nother deal, man. That, that just didn't happen. It just, didn't yeah, we'll just, out. we'll just forget about that one. So, um, so I had to like start over and, um, you know, Doug Martin at GT, you know, I called him and he was like, dude, finally, I've been trying to get you on the team. He tried to get me on the team when I went to Barracuda, but I didn't because I wanted to keep racing BMX for hyper. So I did Barracuda mountain bike, hyper BMX GT wanted me for all anyways, long story short. Doug was like, dude, now you're finally going to ride for me. And, but he's like, I don't, I don't have any budget, man. He goes, I'm, I can, I can give you, he goes, I can give you $40,000. And that was a pretty gnarly hit for me at that time. Oh like, shit. But, but it's GT factory on the best bikes at the time. Yeah, right? And, so, oh. and that was, and that was the deal. I was like, you know what? So I think I had a, um, I think I had a two or a three year deal. I know I had a two year deal because I know the way our bonuses were structured, it was structured. It was like, whatever your bonus was is what your raise was for the next year. And so, um, I was like, yep, I'm going to get the best support. I'm going to be on the best equipment. I'm going to get access to black box rock shock stuff. I'm going to have Michelin tires, Mavic wheels, Shimano shifting. It was like, Again, I had to bet on myself and go, you know what? I'm going to take less, but I'm going to make those bonuses and my next year's salary is going to be kick-ass. And I think the next year, I think I was on 105. I think I made 65 in bonuses that year. I killed it. I did pretty good. And then um, I think I got another year out of that. At, um, GT, I was at 135. And that was, that was plus bonuses. That was where I maxed out on that. And then... The next year, um, Jeff Pierce, who was my team manager at the time, he actually, before the last race, he called me in and was like, hey, man, I just, you know, I want to talk to you about your sponsorship and stuff. And I was 30 at the time. And he goes, you're, you know, you're getting older. You know, we don't know how many years you have left. So, you know, we're looking at a rebuilding with some new riders. Um, so we're going to be able to, we're going to cut your salary. We got to take some of that money and get it to somebody else. And I was bummed, dude, because I was winning championships for these guys. And, um, luckily at that time, Travis Chiprez had just gone over to Mongoose and was working with Hyundai and Speedstick and Pizza Hut and Ojo and all these big sponsors. And he just called me and was like, Hey man, we want to, we want to sponsor you. Um, you know, we want to give you a big offer and we want you to come, uh, we need you to win championships for us because we got corporate sponsors, but we want to sponsor you. And then there was also a deal on that thing where I had started doing the four cross racing, the mountain cross stuff. So they were going to do a signature mountain cross bike in Walmart and they were going to pay me for that as well. So it was a pretty good deal. Like I was going to get uh 50 cents a bike on that. And I think those bikes, that was basically how many bikes they sold a year. It was going to be about 65 grand a year, just in royalties on those bikes. And then they gave me a, a and they gave me two offers. I think it was a, 140 to 140 and I could get my own sponsors. I think it was 165 if they keep the sponsors. And so I did 165 for three years plus bonuses and a um, signature and a signature bike. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it was, I mean, that thing that would have, 
you know, that should have mapped out to, you know, 250, 300 for the, for a yeah. year. I'm trying to figure like, like now, like, I think the sport's in a pretty good place now. Like these top few downers are making some coin, man, which is good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think everyone should do well. You're risking a lot doing, doing yes. a sport like this. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it was, that, that was good money for me. The bike thing, the bike thing never, so they never did the signature bike. It never happened. So they, at the end of three years, we actually, that was part of the negotiation because at the end of three, well, I will say at the end of the first year, I didn't have a cap on my bonuses. So, I mean, I did, I, I basically went to the magazines and I worked with the magazines and I got photos and I, dude, they basic Travis basically said, we got to cap your bonuses. You cannot make that much more money in bonuses. And I was You're like, like no, hey, dude, dude you the... signed the contract, man. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, look, and tra- you know, Travis, he's a but, super but nice he's... guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Travis said, here's the deal. We messed up. We should have put a cap in there. There's not. And you can, you can absolutely, you can absolutely hold us to that. But here's the deal. It also does. You also don't have a specified schedule for events that you're going to go to. So, if you if we leave the non-capped bonus in, you we will not have budget for you to go to races. So he had me, and I was like, "Yeah, you're right too. That's in the contract as well." <laughs> yeah. So we negotiated a, a, a fair cap, um, because I really took them to the cleaners on that. Um, but they never did get me my signature bike. So at the end of three years, they were like, okay, we want to talk about signing a contract for next year. We want to do two year deal. And they offered me a little bit less cause it was a lot. I was making a lot. And, um, I just said, we can't talk about that. And we, until we talk about my signature bike, because it says in here, you will make it not that you were going to try. And I know you guys don't control that cause the Walmart buyer chooses to buy the bike if they do or don't want to, but you said you will. And you also illustrated how many units it would sell and how much money I would make. So I said, you guys owe me $180,000. And they were like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Check me. So, but what I, what I said to them is I said, look, man, I don't want I don't want you guys to give me a check. I don't, I don't want you to give me an empty ended 180,000 for nothing. I don't think that's fair. And that's not right. Like that's taking advantage of a situation here. You guys have been really cool to me and supported me and paid me well. So what I would ask is that instead of doing a two-year deal, I would prefer if you give me a three-year deal uh, on this on this contract. And so let's just add a third year at the same rate. It's a, and it was a decreased wage, but I said, just give me the third year so that we can, you know, and now you guys are gonna get something for that money. And um, so we agreed to do a third year. So I did another three years. I think I was at like a hundred and, 30 that year so i made good money man I, I i had the 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 video game um downhill domination so i got you know i i, I watched your bio video on that i'm going to send it to you <clears throat> excuse me oh. i don't even think you know this exists you've got this bleached hair i do and this yeah, chain, chain dude yeah oh, oh my god that's my so kids good. show it to me my kids then, find all the oh, they stuff. fuck you up with that. And then yeah. at the end, it's a great line. You're like, I'm going to be here until they kick me off the track or something. And you did. You, I did. Yeah, it's, it's great, dude. 
Yeah, that was that was studio stuff. That's a funny thing that you found. And my kids, they actually pull that up and they show all like I'm a high school mountain bike coach. So they show all the kids on the team, all of my embarrassing stuff. But, um, uh, you know, true. yeah, it was, um, you know, um, and I lost my train of thought on where I was going. But, uh, you know, it was it was good. I, I Travis was was good. Uh, it was fair. You know, I had my dom- downhill domination thing. Um, I made good money from that licensing the name Mountain Cross. I actually designed, I would go to their design studio and I designed a bunch of the courses that were in there. So they paid me basically as if I was building. It's kind of like the, what do they call that? The the new computer world where it's fake? Um, AI. No, no, it's the, the, the metaverse or something like oh, that. Oh, the what, metaverse. The, yeah, yeah, or augmented that, reality. Yeah, I where people that's... are buying real estate, they're buying real estate in this place that doesn't oh. exist. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've lost me there. I hope I don't have to see you in the metaverse, but yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I, but I got paid to build, I got paid to design courses. That's in a video awesome. Game. Yeah. Yeah. True. So okay. It, it was a, it was a, that was a great agreement. I learned a lot about the video game world. I made some really cool friends through that. Um, anyways, long story short, I was making good money, man. It was, you know, in the, in the probably 200 to 275 range. It was good. I mean, yeah, it's I was, awesome, man, and you earned enough, every every bit of it. Yeah, not enough to retire on. I I know. I think Palmer's was. I was gonna ask what's what was Palmer on in the heydays then? I heard I Missy think, Jovi was on like a million. Yeah, she was making so much money from Cannondale. Those were the rumors. All those guys, man, like the Cannondale contracts were big. I know Lopes. I mean, dude, Lopes still. I mean, he still just rides his bike. Not just. He's still really fast on his bike. And he still races races and he's still sponsored. Now he's working with Yamaha. But that guy, he was smart with his money, man. He got his money from Cannondale and he hit on the dot com boom, all the internet, uh, the, the investment stuff. Um, but he was making more money than I was and all that kind of stuff. Um, Missy was making more money than I was. Obviously, she was amazing. Uh, Palmer, I think Palmer was on like three. I think he was on like 300 or 330 a year. For like oh, two or three no, years? Not, yeah, at least. But I heard it was like a mill or more over two or three years. He must have been on like 500 at least. Well, probably collectively from his other sponsors. His No Fear, his Oakley. Yeah, true. Um, You know, all of that other stuff. I, I think he was probably at that. So You still um, speak to him? I do when I see him. I mean, I, periodically I message with him. But yeah, like I, I saw him the other day, man. And um, it was great. Like, I mean... He's he's doing pretty good, man. I know he went through he went through some he went through some battles, some personal battles. I mean, they're they're no secret. I mean, he 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 shares with yeah. people, you know the stuff that he's been going through. But I think he's in a pretty good place right now, man. And um, just awesome guy, dude. And you know the 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 funny perception about Palmer is everybody everybody perceives him as this crazy wild party guy, and he absolutely was every bit of that. There's no like the party, the the party at his house was the shit that you see at movies. Like I've never seen, I've been to a lot of parties, man. And I've never seen shit like that. It's, Is this the one with the mini, mini bikes in the garage and foam party and like just. So that wasn't, so that wasn't foam. What that was is those, they, those guys took bags of flour. Oh my and God. Threw bags of flour and beer and they were dumping beer and. Yeah, it was that party. And so that stuff. And then racing mini bikes in the garage on foam and beer, just for like the listeners' context. And Sean Palmer, 
was one of the greatest snowboarders of all time and then became one of the greatest mountain bikers when he decided to focus on it. it it's such yeah. legendary shit. There like, was a pile. So there was a pile. You won't see that again. Uh, no. All the shit in his garage, anyways, got pushed out into the driveway. And then, like, as an exclamation, Randy Lawrence jumped on his his 125 and, like, hill climbed it on this debris pile that was probably about 10 feet tall, like, clutch it, ah, and parked that thing on top. Everybody cheered. But it was like, I mean, this dude had, like, a probably a $1.52 million cabin in Tahoe with a huge deck and everything. And it was beer bottles flying across the room, hitting the wall. It was like the craziest shit you've ever seen, dude. It was, it was nuts, man. So Palmer was the party guy, but he also was a serious guy. He trained. And I will say Sean probably is one of the kindest hearts. Like he's, he is a really nice, genuine human being right like and and so yeah, that that yeah. that perception doesn't ever get spoke about right because it always gets lost in the fact that you know palmer's the rowdy guy with the tour bus and the parties and the shaved heads it's like dude that guy is a solid solid friend he's a solid person he's a good individual with a kind heart man but so he's I'm, but he's a confident individual and when when he's on the racetrack he's so competitive that you know, Lopes can get that bit of, like, bad rep for being so competitive. But you know, like, if you need something from the guy and he likes you, he's gonna, he's really going to be there for you. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, I, is... I, I got that from Palmer. He didn't know me from a bar of soap. So when he came back to race for a year or two, and I was just in awe. I mean, I've got the jersey hanging in the bike shop. That's This awesome. jersey that he gave me off his back. And yeah. he was so generous that he gave his pants – that he raced in to my mate because he obviously didn't get the jersey and I did, whatever. So he yeah. left the race in basically his underwear in a Danisi suit, yeah. right? And on the inside of this jersey, I shit you not, he had Fox printed. It said, I am the best. And apparently he had a few different of these things on the inside of his collar. And I've said <laughs> this story before, but I I did get that such a soft-heartedness from him. And like he was so yeah. nice to me. Like He didn't owe me shit. I didn't race with him back in the day. And right. he was needles this, and, and he was super nice to me, even though I was, like, a super fan of him, you know? Yeah, but he was. He, you're, you're spot on with, you know, him and Lopes. They were both ultra confident, right? And they weren't afraid to express that externally, um, you know? And I will say, man, when Palmer was on on anything, whatever he was racing, dude, the guy races, man. I mean, he, he will... I don't care what it is, uh, you know, he's, it's like days of thunder, dude. You know, when you watch the movie, those guys race everything. Right. And that's Palmer. Like he was, I mean, he's, he's a little bit more relaxed now, but at that time, I mean, dude, he was just super, super ultra competitive and same as Lopes, you know, with his, um, special Olympics things that he would do. Like, you know, like you, you've got to see those. It was like, Oh, there's a set of steps. I bet you can't make it to the seventh step, you know? And yeah, yeah. I was know. his teammate. I traveled with him like kind of when you were more, you were injured. I think that those years or some of yeah. them, but yeah, Palmer, like when he came back to do a bit of downhill and he had this insane self-belief because I would sit with him and I would talk to him about the national champs. And he's like, yeah, I got this. I'm looking, I'm like, dude, you are old and washed the fuck up. But yep. I respect you for saying that. I'm like, what do you mean, dude? And he's like, I'm not as fit as these guys. I know there's a pedal, but I want it more. I want it way yep. more than any of these guys. So I'll probably have it. I'm like, 
yeah, it takes a special individual to have that sort of self confidence, you know. And it yeah, he, it got him to where he is today, you know. And he's yeah. self belief, man, self belief. Yeah, yeah. I don't know no if you can train. It. I don't know if you can train that. You can't get that. You can't. Yeah, man. You like Palmer wasn't as fit, but he and so his statement was spot on. I mean, I remember having a talk with my coach about it and my wife after one of the races. I was. Like we raced at Big Bear when I was on Rotec. I got second. He got first. And he beat me by like, I don't know, quarter of a second or something stupid like that. And dude, he was purple at the finish. I mean, he extracted everything out of his body. And I wasn't. And I remember talking with my coach and and Laura, my wife, and and my wife was like, he pedals harder than you. He, he he pedaled harder than you. He tried harder than you. I mean, th- those were the conversations that we would have about, <clears throat> excuse me, they're matter of fact, you know, like we didn't, we didn't mince words. That's what I needed to hear. And she was right. You know, like he put in more effort than I did. He deserved that win. He, he extracted more from less. I was way more fit than him, but he wanted him. Like he was more hungry and he beat me. So Palmer was that guy. Yeah, he was. Hey, it's fucking crazy what he did in the sport. I know he had a BMX background and motocross, and it's not like he just went from snowboarding and then it was like, oh, you know, where's the front brake on this bike? Like, I know he had, and it's like yeah. when, when, you know, it was like this lifetime of work that then culminated into the mountain bike career, right? It wasn't just, you know, it was tough for us seeing him like, oh, it's his first race. Uh but he yeah. spent like six months at Donna's house or whatever it is, and he was riding, and he'd slowly work up to it, and then first World Cup, it was 10th, and I was like, okay. And it was similar, I think, to Palmer. You know, he had this experience of competition in other sports and, and all both that. Both guys. So both guys, yeah, both guys truly amazing, um, ultra-talented uh, individuals. Um, the... Um, but yeah, those guys didn't come off the couch. They, you know, it's it's a great marketing story for the people that support those guys that say, "Oh my gosh, we found this guy. He was homeless, laying on a bus stop, and he jumped on his bike, and he was the first race. He was tenth in World Cup." It's like, no, dude. Gwen grew up racing BMX. Palmer raced BMX when he was growing up. They both raced moto. Palmer raced skis and snowboards. Like, they have a lot of you got to, those sports are very similar, right? It's like speed, right? They, when you're racing motorcycles or snowboards or skis, you're going fast and you're transferring weight edge to edge, right? And you're learning how to arc corners and carry speed, right? All the things that lend itself to downhill. And then you have BMX that teaches you how to find nooks and crannies and pockets and skill sets of wheeling and manualing and jumping things. And so those guys, like you said, they had this, although they they weren't the best at any of those things, they learned the fundamentals of those things. And those fundamentals were the platform that their pyramid of success was built on. And it, I mean, they're, they're amazing. They're truly amazing athletes. But both of those guys, Palmer, and they're, they're like black and white on personality, but they both have an unwavering, well, not unwavering, but they have an amazing sense of self-confidence and they have a pretty deep bag of tricks or bag of skill set as well. You know, they're, they're, 
talented individuals. Yeah, I've got nothing but respect for it. And the amount of reps they had in the start gate and, and delivering under pressure, like Palmy's got to deliver under a, a border cross final. I mean, so much pressure, you know, and, and you learn what what you need and what uh, sort of mood you need to be in to perform at your best. Yeah, you get hardened, right? You get hardened, you know, pressure and heat. Makes things makes things makes harder things and hard. tougher. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you if you're able to get back up, correct. It's not it's yeah it's that's it. Not, not if you get knocked down, but if you can get back up and and how many times? Yeah, a- sports amen. like that, you lose way more than you win, and life's like that as well, I guess. What um, who else like impressed you? I know you had a quote about Sam Hill at that Lugano Worlds that I'll never forget as well, and and he had that sort of phase where. He just seemed to be doing a little bit more than everyone else. And you said it looks sped up, but you've mentioned Rat Boy. Greg Minaj got this longevity and, and way to deal with pressure. Like, is there a way for you to say, ah, oh, that's probably the most impressive person I've seen on a bike? Like, can you even identify one person? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, for me, I was I was always most impressed. Uh, well, I mean, I I was a, I basically, I was a, in the back seat of the car of Steve Pete, right? When he was really developing his GT stuff. So I got to see that firsthand. Unbelievable, uh, like grit that Pete has. Um, but, you know, watching Nico do what Nico did and do Nico things and think outside of the box when it came to course courses and setup and lines and tire choice and, all the things that he would do he was the one that most impressed me because of what he could do i mean i'll I'll never i don't know if this is true or not but this is what um uh his coach had said to me about the race in tahoe uh it was the weekend after the the big bear world cup that palmer won and you know palmer just rubbed that in nico's face when he won a big bear and so the next weekend nico was like I have I have to win in Tahoe. I have to win in Palmer's hometown. And Kavoric rips this insane run. Like everybody knew Chris was fast, but all of a sudden he rips this time off. You know, and I guess Nico was up at the top on his trainer and they told him the time and he freaked out. He was like, It's not it's it's not possible. Like the time isn't possible. You know, I don't know if you know the stories, but Nico had the ability to walk a course and say I think the winning time is going to be 3.56. And he would come out on a 3.55 or a 3.56. So in his mind, he knew or he felt he knew what the fastest time that course would yield, right? What what was possible. And I guess he was on his trainer, got off of his trainer, went and sat and did a run in his head over the course and came back to his trainer and said, okay, I have like three or four sections that I think I can – I think I can do it. I, I, it's going to be a huge risk. I'm going to have to take a really big risk, but I think I can maybe do it. And he won, dude. Like that shit, the, that shit is a different world, man. Like that shit is crazy shit, right? To, to yeah. think like that. Cause I don't know about you. I'm already going to go the best and fastest I can. Right. And it's going to be hanging on to that thing. Top to bottom, eight seconds bull ride, dude. It's like, I fucking hope I make it to the bottom, dude. And to get off your trainer and go, 
Ah, yeah, I think I could put more risk in and I could probably make up with three seconds and I can do it. And then to do it and then to execute. Yeah, he had this weird association with time. Yeah, no, I heard about these things. You know, I never raced against him. I just watched him at Worlds when I was a junior. And and, uh, yeah, he had this weird association with time and he had those pit boards sometimes and he would want to know if he's down or up and he could adjust his race pace. And like you say, it's like, dude, I got yeah. like I'm already you surely at World Champs you're already going close to a hundred. Yeah. Or maybe for Everything. him he clearly wasn't, but he was able to just squeeze that extra little bit without freaking out. He was the, I guess for me, I mean, there's there's so many things, right? Like Menar defies logic. I yeah, mean, but I also does. think he's like the close to folios of like tactician now with his race head. He yeah. seems to have like being one of the closest. It seems. Yeah. But he was, but for me, I was fascinated by Nico's approach. I was, I mean, I will tell you for me, uh, I had a VCR with a slow, with a a pause and then a dial slow-mo so I could watch frame by frame. And I, that was one of the ways I learned how to ride better at downhill was I watched any footage I could get of him slow-mo frame by frame. I would literally frame by frame the dial and watch his footage and try to learn his body positioning, his braking, when he was on, when he was off, how he would roll through corners, the line choice that he would take and why, you know, all those things. So um, from a tactician standpoint, probably the most impressive guy I've seen. Um, but, you know, there's different facets, right? Like I love PD's grit, um, Menar, Sam Hill, um, you know, Gwen for the way he came in and dominated for his stretch that he did i mean those guys are dude those guys are so gnarly like just they're just gnarly dude it's like you know it's crazy to to watch those guys i I, last year when menar won i just dude i teared up man i i'm a pretty emotional dude you know me but i was like teared up because i was like this is insane like this guy is he's the last he's the last of our generation and dude he's he's got his claws in still man and i'm fingers crossed dude he comes back from this horrific injury that he had dude what a wreck i mean yeah he didn't rip his head off how ironic and it's at the track he won at which is one of the gnarliest tracks and he goes and wins world at a gnarly track and then has a wreck yards so i'm fingers crossed man i know i i think i think he's gonna be pretty fast next year because i i there's no way Knowing Greg, I don't know him super well, but I know him, I think, good enough to know. He, that is, that's not going out on his terms. Mm. And, and so I, I can't see him. I think he's going to be more motivated in this off, off season probably than he ever was because of how close he got to not being able to have an exclamation point. Not that he needs one. I mean, he doesn't need an exclamation point. No. accomplished, But I think he wants it. And he's like, dude, he's like Tom Brady, you know, the NFL guy in the States here. And yeah. like, he's just unbelievable, dude. And he lives for it. He lives for that competition, the pressure, does, that, that thing we got to and we would start speaking. You said, oh, I've started thinking about hitting the ground. You'll get there one day. And I was like, dude, shut up while we're yeah. scuba diving in reunion. And remember I hit that section. You're like, dude, you're going way too fast. Like, dude, that's not fast. And then fast forward seven years or whatever. I was like, feel like I'm going a bit fast, and if I was to hit the ground, the minute you start thinking before you hit the ground, it's it's, t- it's time. 
yeah. time to step away, you know. And everyone has yeah. a different mentality, you know. I think naturally you can. I th- I don't know. I think, think that, you'd I think you'd lie to yourself. No, you can force yourself through it. I'm like I don't know. I don't think at some you can, point man. it's just not. You just something clicks and it's just you don't want it anymore. Well, I think I mean yeah. I think those are. Uh, Apparently that gear in in Menard's transmission is broken. He doesn't have that yeah, gear yet. Yeah, no. So, and him but, and Zinc, Cam Zinc doesn't have that either. Yeah, same same deal. But you know, like like I think that is what we're seeing with Aaron now. Like he had some good races this year, and he was showing um he was showing some uh, speed of you know his former self, and he's starting. I think. You know, we'll see how this offseason goes and and see if he can find that total speed. But, you know, you could see him on certain courses go into a root section or a wooded section or mud or and there was, you know, he there's some kryptonite out there for him now. You know, there's some things that he doesn't want to go that fast. And that doesn't mean it's he's not bad for that. He's that's a that's a that's a normal thing in sport for ninety nine point nine percent of the people minus Greg Menard and Tom Brady and a few other guys that are like, no, man, I'm, I'm still here. And they, yeah. they just, they have that ability and, and you gotta, you gotta take your hat off to those guys, man. And I mean, even Sam, man, I'm, I'm so bummed Sam got hurt at Crankworks because I was really, really curious to see, I think he's still going to give it a shot, you know, what downhill. Yeah. They, he was talking about coming back to downhill. I mean, well, you think rumors. he'll do? A, yeah, they're rumors. Yeah, we'd all love it. I think, yeah, it might help with how excited everyone was. He might. I mean, maybe he's burnt on an EW, burnt out on EWS now, like he was burnt out on downhill. Like you're doing the well, same he, thing, same track, same training. It's like, fuck, right. that's gonna well, be I boring. Think, I think, I think for him, when it came to the downhill stuff, I think he got. The, you remember the courses when he quit, the courses were getting watered down, right? They were becoming more bike park. They were having more berms and more bike park sections, less raw, yeah. less rough and gnarly. And I think that really frustrated him, right? He didn't really, he didn't really like that. And so he didn't want to do it. Um, now I think there's a lot of raw courses that are happening. There's a lot of things that are, um, that are into the uh, realm of what he likes. And I think he was like, yeah, I want to give this a shot again. And I, dude, I think he could still go pretty damn fast. I was, I was surprised that he didn't do as well as he did in the EWS. I thought he was going to come back and be a little bit stronger, but um, I, dude, I so want to see him ride downhill. I, I mean, I, dude, I'm a, I'm a pure fan of his speed and the way he rides and, it's so unique what he can do. I just I want to see him ride downhill again, man. Yeah, man, it'll be so exciting. Yeah, I don't know if he was as prepared this year as in other years, and I'm not close. I, we we text here and there, and I give him a bit of shit. He gives me a bit of shit. Um, the sport would be better for it. How exciting if he if he did come oh. back? That'd be so cool. But you mentioned a few things. You were watching volumes, and I actually you didn't think I'd make some notes, but I made a few here and there yeah. because there's some things I can't miss. And you were actually a tactician, and I felt that you were one that often watched more than you rode on certain sections. And you think that's something people could learn from the younger generation? Like, man, you would often scope out a section for a long time, and and yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think um, 
I, you know, I learned that from um, from Jurgen from Beneke. He was my teammate, and there were times where he would he would take sometimes he would take a day, and he would uh, he he would watch a day of practice instead of riding, um, and sometimes I don't think every time, but I think sometimes that helps, right? Because it's really easy to get like if you go from top to bottom and you just do top to bottom runs all the time, right? You don't you don't get to see what others are doing, right? So you have to, it's naive to think, well, not naive. Sometimes when you're on course and you're riding good and you're in the zone and everything's happening, you know, that feeling that you have, you know, like, okay, I don't have to watch because I know that's, that's fast. That felt fast. You know, the way the bike's loading up inside of corners and then the way it's unweighting and rebounding and how I'm, pushing in and unweighting over things. And like, I'm not riding into stuff. Like when you get in that flow, you're like, okay, I just need to hold this shit together. Now I just need to not be stupid, wreck and practice and get hurt and then execute. And, and, but it's for me, it was rare that I felt like that top to bottom. Right. I never felt hardly ever did. I feel top to bottom that I was like pushing and having this amazing flow the whole time. And so what I would, you know, what I would do is the sections I was not feeling that way. I would be like, well, somebody's got to be doing it better than I am, you know. And so I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna sit here and see. I'm gonna find the best line through here. Um, you know, my my Achilles heel, the 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 problem for me in downhill was I was always um, a little bit in the self-preservation mode, right? So I was. Got a, I mean, I only won a handful of downhill races. I got a lot of seconds through fifths because on any given day, there was going to be one dude that was going to just lay it out there. Right. And, you know, like that's the thing. So, um, but yeah, I watched a lot, man. I tact and tact tactician wise. I mean, I was always that way, whether it was four cross slalom, downhill, everything. Um, yeah, man, I always tried to develop a plan. And sometimes that plan was based around me knowing like I won uh, the downhill at Big Bear and they had this rock jump that you had to jump. And then, um, dude, I hated that jump. And I didn't want to jump the jump. I hated the landing. Uh, I didn't like the blindness of it. And so I didn't jump it. And it was, I probably lost three quarters of a second on that. But I calculated like, okay, I'm going to give up three quarters of a second here, but I'm still going to be on my bike. And then, so now I know I got to, I'm going to have to go extra fast i'm gonna have to be off the brakes a little bit longer than i want in a three or four corners and i'm gonna get that three quarters back and so you know that was that was always my mentality is like okay if i can't wrap my head around doing the hard line and i'm gonna give up this time now i gotta find a place that's gonna be less risk for the same gain that's that that's how i would always you know focus my laps and focus my runs yeah, I mean, it's probably a smart way to longevity in a career. Um, well, yeah, I didn't get knock on wood. My injury list is pretty. Yeah, touch pretty, wood as well. <laughs> yeah, compared to some of the other guys out there, man, I didn't get super busted up um, like some guys. And, um, you know, I think part of that had to do with, you know, my approach. And it was like, you know, I can't be my bonuses were always big for championships. And so it was like. Dude, I can't get that bonus if I'm laid up. So I yeah, I gotta, true. Consistency I gotta, wins those championships. Huh? <laughs> true, yeah. 
So I would I would play the points game. Palmer would get so mad at me, dude. He would come to my pits needles and yell at me. Come on, today you're not gonna be a pussy. And just <laughs> yell at me. Just one time, Carter. Just one time. Let off your brakes. You know, and I would like, and he would win. Like he would win one or two races, and then he would blow up on two others. And then he so he would never be in the title hunt as much yeah and i would just slow and steady dude you know tortoise in the hair (laughs) (laughs) that's so good like he's your competitor and he's wanting you to to freaking let off the brakes but that's changed now dude there's there's a few guys per race are willing to die for it now huh that's it's gotta that's gotta be different i can't even hey like we i'm just like maybe when you're in it it feels different but i'm thank goodness my career's done well, I, I thought that in, when I, in 2014, I thought that, right? Like yeah. I saw some things and I saw some speed and I saw and felt, you know, you feel the ground shake when guys are going by now, when they hit shit and they land off shit. And there's like, you know, it's like blind terraces with boulder fields and they're just flying off those things. And the inertia and the speed, look, there's a, a million downhill mountain bike fans that are out there and they watch they watch it online if you've never been to a world cup downhill race and stood on the sideline you absolutely have no grasp on what the hell's going on it is the craziest most insane shit it it's insane like you're standing there and you're watching these guys they're literally hurtling themselves down the mountain and it is just fucking bananas dude and I thought that in 2014. Now, I mean, I have the ability to think of the speed and then I can watch the video and I can I can piece that together of what's happening. Dude, what in the hell? Right? The French guys? Dude, not, dude it's taken me six years to be so thankful to be on that side of the tape. It's it's like it's half it's almost like going to rampage for me. I'm like, oh, rather you yeah. than me. That's the line. <laughs> Got to exactly. go a lot faster, but that's the line. Yeah, it's it's um, I I'm I'm truly blown away at um the skill set and the ability for guys to go as fast as they do into things that they do blind. Um, you know, hats off to the engineers and the designers to give those guys the equipment that can withstand what they're putting that stuff through. It's just, dude, it's another, it's just, what do you say, man? No, (laughs) we're just a bit speechless. Ease, I want to be aware of your time. Uh, Good, dude. No, I know, but I I think this is going to be around two or round three. But yeah. uh, I, I can't let you go without finishing off on sort of a high note. And I think your four cross world title in 04, if I've got the yeah. dates correct, I was there. That's right. I know there was a lot of tactician in that. You maybe felt you weren't the fastest down the main straight. or, But I mean, yeah. is that one of the fondest memories of your career? Yeah, for that sure. Title? It would it would have to be uh, needles. It would definitely have to be the highlight. Um you know, I'd won a lot of um, other races and World Cup titles and World Cups and all those things. But um, that was a really cool culmination of a lot of things, right? Like I had tried for four cross. It was like, I think the third year four cross had happened and I had 
think I got third and then I got second leading up to that. Um, and there was a new era of guys. Powell was going fast. Uh, I think Jared Graves was coming in. Prokop was insane. There's a lot of really fast guys, man. And I'm 34, dude. I was 34. And I was definitely not the fastest guy. Not just the first straightaway, but not only that, I was not the fastest guy um, on the course. My track speed. I qualified like ninth, I think. Ninth or tenth. Which wasn't really, like, that wasn't usually how I was. I was usually a good qualifier because your start didn't matter in the qualification. It was how good you could corner and carry speed. And I just, dude, I was not riding that good. Um, and I remember sitting up on the, me and Brian Smith the night before, we walked all the way up to the gate from the village. And uh, I remember we were talking about it. I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get this thing. I don't know if it's going to happen. You know, and that was a, I was carrying that burden, that pressure as well. Um, and um, I just made a decision that weekend. I mean, of course, there was tactician stuff, but I made a decision to let go of the title and just race the race. And I remember talking with my mechanic, Kevin Kelly, and saying, I just got to have fun. I got to, I, I can't keep putting this monkey on my back and then trying to carry it around. It's too heavy. And so that was a conscious decision, but in practice, I found something and it was, I did a gate with lopes and um, the way the first corner was set up, it was kind of like two nineties with a step jump in the middle or maybe a step down in the middle. And that step down interrupted your ability to stay inside, inside, right? The amount of speed you were going. And then when you would float off of that, you can't turn in the air. So riders would drift wide and in one of my practice runs with Lopes, he was inside, gated me. I set up high, a high load underneath him, and I started to cut under. And I was actually going to pass him. I was going to actually just coast right by him. And I drug my brakes. I actually held up and didn't pass him. I made it look like it didn't work. And I came back up to the top, and I told my mechanic, I'm like, dude, I think if I can get in the finals, I got a shot. I got, I got a little ace, you know, I got an ace up my sleeve. You know, we got to get to the finals. And uh, so, you know, we were making our way through the rounds. I think I might have won the first round, but I didn't win any. I don't think I won any rounds leading into the final after that. I was always getting that second slot and advancing through and advancing through and um, just dancing to the music between the runs and stuff. Everybody else was serious. And Kevin was laughing and Doug Dalton was there. And I think Adrian uh, Montgomery were there. And we were just having a good time. And uh, so I went to go get up in the finals and um, I had third gate choice. And I think Roger Rinderneck and um, Mikhail Deldeek had the, the first two choices. And then Prokop had had I had third Prokop had fourth. He qualified 15th, I think. And it was crazy, dude. Like I saw Rinderneck get in and I saw Deldeek get in and I knew no matter what that Deldeek was not he's in France. We were in France. I knew he was not going to shut down into the first turn. There's no way. Like it's all or nothing. Yeah. And I knew Prokop had the fastest start. So I actually was like, man, I, if I get in lane three, Prokop's going to cut me off, and he might not make it over and be able to get get in front of Del Deke, and then Del Deke can get gone. So I sat back. Prokop jumped into lane three. 
like he took the lane before I even took a lane and I could tell he was a little nervous about it. And I let him sit there. I let him marinate on it. I could have kicked him out of the lane, but I let him be nervous about it. I was always going to take lane four. <laughs> so I, I got in lane four, man. And my goal was, or my hope was pro cop gets out of the gate, cuts off render neck in lane two. Del Deke doesn't shut down in lane one. Those guys push wide and I'm able to cut under. The only wild card was where would Renderneck be after he got cut up? Would he be in the way or not? And dude, it worked out. Needles. I could not of if I was hand riding the guys where they needed to be and spray painted a line for them to ride on, they couldn't have done it better. <laughs> That's it, amazing, man. Dude, Pro Cop comes out of the gate. I got a good start, which was important because I had to be level with those guys. So I get out of the gate, Prokop cuts over. He gets Renderneck right at the first jump. So Renderneck messes up on the first jump, so it creates a big space. And he keeps coming over. Del Deke runs him all the way out to the banners. Actually, I think he made him crash. And I'm just sitting up here on this berm, and I just, dude, it was, I've told the story before. It was the biggest hole I've ever seen in a race trying to pass. It was just like, it was like I was the only guy on course. It was so crazy. And I just cut under and took off, man. I was nervous because I was much slower than the other guys on the course. And I was just hoping somebody didn't catch me and, and clean me out. But, dude, luckily I was able to get away from them enough. I had both pedals clip out on the, the dual log drops. It was a little sketchy. I almost threw it away. But, dude, I brought that thing home. And, yeah, man, the, I was the smartest guy clearly not the fastest guy but i was definitely the smartest guy that night and it culminated in me um getting the world title that i've been chasing for three years man it was it was amazing dude that's so <laughs> awesome to hear it firsthand because i've heard it through maybe videos and interviews and stuff but it's like the stars stars aligned i think that's a fitting way east we're gonna have to do round two, maybe three. Maybe you come and do a race review with me because you're clearly watching the races. So I am, dude. I think I would your insides would be really wicked. I think we got to do it. We'll book you I in. Love, yeah, yeah, dude. I, I, I would. So you still love I'm watching the, the racing, like you at least watch I the watch replay everyone. or live if you can. Yeah. I watch them live every time, and I sit and I talk. You know, I, I, I commentate. Uh, I insight with my kids nice so we watch the races together mostly my oldest son he's he's like a diehard man and so i insight onto him the things that i'm watching and the things that i see in the lines and the way you know somebody checked up a little bit or you could tell he's riding tight or wow you know he set up this line so he could have exit speed for this all that shit i love it dude that's uh, me too you man know? that's so <laughs> sick yeah, what um stuff. where should the where should the listeners follow along uh the the veil Vale Lake, or what do you call? What is the area called it's, again? It's a uh, Vale Lake is the resort, and Veilocity, V-A-I-L-O-C-I-T-Y, Veilocity uh, Bike Park. It's Veilocity Bike Park on Instagram. That's we just have an Instagram. We haven't launched the website specific to the bike park yet. Um, once we get our village in place and we have our bike rentals and the shuttles and st stuff like that, we'll have a web page for all that. But um, yeah, Veilocity Bike Park, dude, we're doing it. <laughs> and uh, and follow you on on Insta as well. What's uh... I'm ECMTB1. Yeah, EC wicked MTB1. man. ECMTB1. Yeah, man. No, so. uh, I hope that's in the Temecula area in California. Is the the bike park? So if anyone's around the states or California, you got to hit it up. 
Yeah, it's going to be really, it's, I mean, we're building daily. I mean, as soon as I'm done talking to you, I'll be on a mini X yeah. building trail. So, um, yeah, it's, I love it. And, uh, I, I just love seeing people smile because we're providing a, a platform for them to, to ride their bikes and have fun. So it's, it's cool. EC, keep the good times rolling guys. That was moving the needle podcast. You know what to do. If you enjoyed it, you got any value share with a friend. That's the biggest thank you can do. Leave us a review, subscribe, and uh, don't forget to send in those questions if you want us to answer them, me and Miles. Or maybe you want, got a question for EC, I can shoot him a text. He can answer because you can hear he's got the insight. So, guys, till the next one, peace. You.